Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. This is the Notion Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. Hi, and today I'm with Paul Jackson. Hi, Paul. Great first name. Hi, Paul. Great to be here. Tell us, who are you, Paul? I'm a product manager. Previous to that, I was a user experience designer and a user-centered design practitioner for just over 10 years. So my entire professional background has been in digital, developing products and services, typically from a very user-centered perspective. Currently, I'm Managing Director in the UK of Castle, who are a venture services firm that focuses exclusively on product. So we can provide everything from product strategy and product leadership at the top end, all the way through to product development and entire product teams at the operational end, if that's what's required. Today, when people talk about startups, more and more in the past few years, we heard about product, 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 product. Yeah. Uh, for you, is, is a product, is it very different from the technology underlying them? That's a great question. Product for me, and I think it's important that we define it up front, product for me is any part of a company, in most cases these days, digital companies, any part of a company that touches the user. That's any interaction, any interface, any moment where the end user is interacting with the company, that for me can be defined as part of the product. Have you ever, because of the work you've done, have you ever even uh, stumbled upon startups that are not aware of the products they're actually delivering? In many cases, companies don't realize the degree to which all of the interactions they have with customers are perceived as a single brand experience. So it's not unusual in my experience for companies to have different messages on different websites and different parts of their product that reflect different brand values, different positioning, and ultimately different value statements. They overlook the fact that the user experiences one linear journey. And if those statements and those positioning aren't aligned, it can be very, very confusing to the end user, to a potential customer. And in today's incredibly competitive environment, that ultimately means that they are likely to look somewhere else to purchase the product that they're looking for. So is your job about helping startups and companies streamline that uh, value statement? In the first instance, I think that's a very good summary. We encourage all founders, leadership teams and entrepreneurs not to begin with technology, not to begin with worrying about features and screens and individual tactical elements, but to focus on the value that they are providing to their end user and ultimately the outcomes that their users are going to achieve from working with their product. It's quite common now to accept that users and customers and people are hiring products to achieve certain outcomes in their lives, to rent them to make progress in their lives. And therefore, understanding what that progress is should be the starting point for entrepreneurs, not looking entirely at the technology or the stack or the languages that they would like to build within. But so I imagine, because you, you insist on that value delivery, I imagine that some of the people you work with, the startups you work with, when you start working with them, they haven't that figured it out. And you said it should be the starting point. So how do you surface that to them? How do you, again, I'm going to use the same term, streamline that back to one single point of value delivery? We have a number of tools in our box that leadership teams can apply at any stage in their development. And you're right, it's common for us to encounter 
encounter founders and entrepreneurs after they've built some version of their product, either their MVP, their version one, to already be operational and to already have paying customers in many sense. And what happens is that they grow to a certain degree within the market, but then find that that growth suddenly plateaus. And the challenge they find themselves facing is why has my growth and the traction that I was seeing in the market suddenly stopped? And this then leads us to the analysis that we mentioned earlier, understanding to a much deeper degree what the value they're providing is, the outcomes that they are trying to deliver to their customers. This is really part of a whole service proposition that we are currently very engaged in with most of our clients, which is known as productization. When we were preparing for this show, you mentioned the three pillars of products. I want to hear you a little bit about that. What are the three pillars for you? We encourage leadership teams and entrepreneurs to conceive of their product differently from what is common. Most people think about their product in terms of the technology or in terms of individual interfaces and screens. And we have this notion that there are three pillars that are much better as a lens for understanding what your product is and how a customer ultimately is going to conceive of it. The first is onboarding. The middle pillar is core task completion. And then the final one is called administration. And the axis that cuts across all of these three is the degree to which the user is familiar with the product. Founders should always understand or reflect on the degree of familiarity that a user has with their product and architect the three pillars around that. Have you seen that more recent founders or maybe more experienced founders have this ability to understand that it is all about product from the get-go or are founders still very much in love with the technology itself? I think it's not unusual, depending on the background of the founder, to be very technology-focused. Ultimately, a lot of startups are coming from a tech background and consider themselves part of the technology sector. And without a doubt, Deep expertise in technology is often critical to success in the market. So by no means whatsoever are we suggesting that one should trivialize or overlook the importance of technology. What we are saying is that there is an additional layer at the strategic level, which is extremely important for founders to understand mainly because the nature of competition in the tech space has increased to such a degree that differentiation and understanding how you differentiate and being able to communicate how you differentiate is becoming harder and harder all the time. And the key word that underpins all of this that we always find ourselves coming back to is this word value. It's understanding to a very, very deep degree the specific value that you're delivering and then being able to communicate it, demonstrate it, and then deliver it. That is really what founders and entrepreneurs are trying to achieve. It's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, there's always this kind of, you know, you know, on one side people say, if your product is great, people will just come for it. And on the other end, you have the, oh, if you don't message about your product, people will not come to it. You are a bit in the middle because you are both telling that you should adapt the way your product delivers value for the customers, but then you also need to brand it correctly so that the customer gets the value that it actually delivers. That's absolutely correct. One of the most interesting developments that digital has driven over the last two or three years is the distinction between where marketing starts and ends and where product starts and ends is becoming more and more unclear and indistinct. In digital, every touch point is really just an interaction that the customer has with your company or your brand. 
They make no distinction between where marketing and advertising starts and ends and where product starts and ends. And because we now have this whole moment within the journey that's known as onboarding, which is part marketing and part product, there's really no value whatsoever to trying to differentiate how you communicate versus how you actually deliver value. It's essential that startups really think about the whole customer experience end to end, how their value is communicated and then executed and then repeated as part of a single service proposition. We call this product, but really this is about an end-to-end -end experience that needs to be managed and considered by founders and leadership teams. Entrepreneurship is a journey. Did you happen to also meet startups, founders, companies that had, after having interacted with you at Castle, that had to come to a sudden realization that where they were focusing was not actually the product they were actually selling, that they had to shift. And I'm not talking about pivot here, about realizing that it was a much different game that they thought they were in. Yes. One of the most interesting methodologies or frameworks that has come to light recently is from one of the teams at Bain Consulting, led by a partner called Eric Armquist. They extended Maslow's fairly well-established hierarchy of needs and did a significant amount of research across a number of companies and with a number of executive teams. And they have conceived of a pyramid of value that contains 30 different elements of value that a product or service can deliver. This can be everything from the base layer, which is functional value, such as saving time, saving money, saving inconvenience, up through the emotional layer, such as making people feel good about themselves using the product, all the way up to the top layer, which is known as social impact and really has only one aspect or value element to it, which they call self-transcendence. And that's about benefiting society as a whole in the product that you deliver. This lens has been extremely powerful to allow founders to review the business against these elements of value and then align the leadership team around which elements they actually are delivering versus which ones they are not. And oftentimes this has led them to reimagine the business, often internally debate the business that they're in but ultimately gain a much greater degree of clarity around what they are delivering as a business versus the things that maybe they thought they were touching on in the past, but ultimately decide they don't want to compete on. How is your work happening? At the top of the show, you mentioned that some startups uh, were hitting a plateau because of that uncertainty about the value statement. Do they come up to you when they have reached their plateau usually? Or do you usually come up much earlier helping them build that value statement and value delivery? Often I will be referred via the sessions and the interactions that I'm involved with via the Notion team. Notion, as you know, provides a huge amount of services and support to its portfolio that gives them access to experts and thought leaders across a number of different practices and capabilities. And often it will be as a result of those strategy sessions that Notion will coordinate where I will get involved along the product perspective. And then subsequent to that, there will be a number of follow-up sessions where we will dig much deeper into questions such as what are the value elements that you're providing? What are the reasons that a user would switch from another product to your product? And what are those consideration moments that customers are undertaking or experiencing when deciding whether or not to adopt your product? 
Sometimes it will be referrals from other members of the portfolio or similar founders who've either read one of my articles or heard about some of the sessions that we've undertaken. And if terms like productization or the value elements resonate with them, they will often get in touch and say, can we talk about this further? I don't know if it was a title of one of your sessions, but when we were preparing this show, you mentioned how to avoid stack fallacy. And I want to I wanna understand that. I want to listen to you telling me about that because it piqued my interest. So what do you mean by how to avoid stack fallacy? Stack fallacy is another term that I've borrowed from other great thinkers that have come before me. Stack fallacy was coined by a gentleman named Anshu Sharma, who was previously a product manager at Oracle and is now a partner at Storm Ventures in California. He observed from many, many years working in technology that a lot of companies delivered a product or a service that was part of a bigger technology stack that ultimately users used. And as an example, it could be a database product that sat underneath a large technology stack that customers would use with a number of vendors, or it could be a middleware layer. What he observed is that every time a company was part of a stack, they always overvalued their own significance within that stack and undervalued the contribution of everyone else. And as an example, as we know, Notion have a very, very laser-like focus on SaaS. SaaS was overlooked by the larger companies like the Oracles because they thought SaaS was really just a database app. And ultimately, they had a much greater power and influence in that market. But the point they'd overlooked is that the customer has no awareness of the stack. All they experience is the point that they interact with the technology or with the company. And Sharma's conclusion was that the companies that win at the user interface layer that provide a better, more intuitive, more enjoyable, more accessible user interface tend to be the ones that win in the market. And he would cite everyone from Google to Facebook to Slack to Uber as examples of this. And therefore, critical to effective productization is an understanding that it's really the part that touches the user and making that experience as enjoyable and as valuable as possible that determines long-term success in the market. And to overlook that is a dangerous misconception. Is there anything else you want to add or point you might have overlooked? I think there's a, a lot of benefit going forward to startups considering what we call switching decisions and doing an analysis of what's called the four forces model of product decision. There's a very interesting framework that the school of jobs to be done thinking has developed, which examines the forces that influence users to stick with their existing behaviors or their existing products versus the forces that impel them to change. And at the heart of that moment is what they call the struggle. And I think it's very valuable for entrepreneurs and founders who are developing a product to have a very good sense of what the struggle is that their ideal users are undergoing, what tools they are currently using in order to try and solve or address that struggle, and how and why their solution is better than the options currently available. This is something that is very often overlooked by people who are developers of products or makers of products because we all tend to overvalue our own contribution. And at the same time is key because it puts the user at the heart of the decision process rather than the product itself. One of the things that Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winning psychologist, gave us 
was this notion that people always overvalue the services and the products and the features that they currently have because of this concept that we now know as loss aversion. Causing people to change behavior is much harder than people realize. It's not a rational decision. It's a very emotional decision, often an irrational decision that we post-rationalize after the event. I think an understanding of the factors that influenced switching and customers' purchase is a critical skill for all founders and leadership teams to have thought through when developing their own products. At Castle, if I could rephrase what you do, you also are removing a certain tunnel vision. Yeah, that's right. It's considering the situation and circumstance that a user or an individual finds themselves in, the emotional and psychological factors that they're experiencing, the reasons that they want to make a change versus the reasons that they choose not to change, and being able to address each one of those in how you communicate, market, and ultimately build your product. Well, on that, it was a great way to finish this podcast. Thank you very much, Paul. It's been a pleasure, Paul. Thanks very much for your time.